My name is Brad Baker, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. And I'm so stoked to spend the next 40 minutes with you guys. Um, I'm going, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm right on the cusp of celebrating 16 years of pastoral ministry in the local church. And wow, I, thank you. Um, the vast majority of that has been in college and young adult ministry. So to say that I feel at home in this room is an understatement. Um, I love being with you people. Um, I have to compliment you guys for being here. We are all being formed and shaped into something, right? The inner world of our life is taking shape before us every single day. And the choices we make form us into something. And by you coming and gathering with the people of God and putting that as a centerpiece of your life is a big deal. And I just want to encourage you as you journey through your young adulthood to not let that slip. The scriptures encourage us, do not give up the habit of meeting together, right? We need that in our lives. So awesome. Can we just thank Sarah and Shailene and Josh and JC for the leadership they provide for this ministry? It's so awesome. We love you guys. I, I, I'll never forget sitting at Chipotle at North Academy with Josh not that long ago and realizing that Josh was the next young adult pastor here at New Life. It was such a cool, I think it was, was it a springtime day or did I dream that? Fall. Fall. It was sunny and warm, which is, it's all that was in my head. I was, oh, who knows? <laughs> who knows? I'm, I got all my, my facts mixed up this morning. Um, I want to spend our time together this morning talking about discouragement, navigating seasons of discouragement. And this is a talk that I am highly qualified to give. I'm an expert on discouragement because I've walked through so many seasons in my life where I've just gone, I'm down, I'm heavy. Some of us have a natural propensity towards a more melancholy, more glass Uh, half-empty kind of mindset, and you can relate. You know this. I remember being so discouraged as a young leader in the church that um, my biggest temptation was to look at people in non-ministry jobs and sort of drool over that. I remember um, there was this uh, dirt path between the church building where I was officed out of and my car, and I would walk it and listen to this song, um, by Tim Hughes called When the Tears Fall. And I would just kind of, oh, it's so hard. You know, I just felt the weight of my life on my shoulders. And I'll never forget, I was walking one day, and uh, there were some guys um, up in the palm trees trimming them. And I just stood there and thought, that looks so amazing. I want to do that. Anything different than what I'm doing now, that looks incredible. And then the next day, there were some guys painting the side of this building. And I was like, I'm so discouraged in my current role, in my, my life position, a painting job, just that sounds amazing. The next day it was guys spraying out the, the gutters with those high pressure washers. And I'm like, that looks so fun because it was just different than what I was doing. I was that discouraged in my life. Have you ever gone through a season like that where you're just like, ah, I'm down. I'm feeling the weight of the current situation that, that I'm in. And I'm, I'm just not joyful. 
I'm just feeling like, ah, like you're walking through molasses, like you have lead weights on your feet, that everything seems so difficult. So here's a reality check, just in case you're feeling alone in this discouragement. Um, give me a little hand or a little shout if this has ever been true, right? Have you ever sat in the car in the parking lot of your school or your workplace way too long because you just didn't know if you had what it took to do another day, right? Yeah, that car, right? You, if, you're, if you're already feeling that way, you, you actually park kind of in a place where no one sees you, and you have a little pillow that you bring with you just in case the back seat looks good, and, and you go, oh, take a little nap, and you know, you're supposed to be in at 9, and it's 10.30, and you're still kind of waking up from your back seat nap, and it's just it's this moment of discouragement. Have you ever, second one, seriously considered not getting on the return home flight from your latest vacation? You're like, here I am in Costa Yeah, come on, Costa Rica. And you're like, listen, I, you know, I've got a couple hundred bucks in my pocket. That goes a long way in a country like this. I'm just going to set up shop south of the border <laughs> under that tree and just chill, right? I want to go back. Have you ever taken a nap in a really weird place because you were just that discouraged and spent. Yeah. Forget the backseat of the car, right? That's weird enough. Like in public, like you're napping in a library or on a park bench or, you know, just in class, you're just passed out in the back. You're like, I'm just that tapped out. Have you ever considered faking your own death? To get out of the awkward moment of telling your mom or your dad that you've quit school or your job. You're like, hmm, you know, it's not that difficult to fake a death here in Colorado with so many steep cliffs and fast-moving rivers. It's very, very possible. You know what I found um, after working with 18 to 24-year-olds for so long, and, and my own journey in that season was... You can get discouraged and not even know why. You go, I'm just, I'm just down. Sometimes we like to talk ourselves out of that. We like to rationalize our emotions away when we're discouraged and just sort of buckle down and keep going with ever, without ever asking, why am I discouraged in this journey of going to school or in my job, or just generally speaking as a Christ follower, I'm just discouraged in my walk with God. And we never really know why. We just push forward. And often I've seen when, when we do that, it gets worse, right? Because our emotions are like a, 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 some sort of indicator on the dashboard of our car. When the light goes off, it actually means we should stop and service our vehicle and check in underneath the hood and go, what's going on? Okay, I have no oil. Might want to put oil in my car before I go on a 5,000-mile road trip. Duh, right? So, but what happens is the the check engine light goes off in our life, and instead of stopping and saying, hey, what's what's going on with me? We just press the gas, because we just got to keep going, right? So, in a feeble attempt to help us understand what might be fueling, what might be the source of of our discouragement in this season of our life. I've come up with a top 11 sources. Now you say, why not 10? It's because I just found 11, so lay off. All right, number, th- number 11 of the top 11 sources of discouragement for young adults. Confusion about what you should be studying. I look back, and 
I was actually, a, for a time, I was a pre-med major. Now, if you know, yeah, Josh is laughing because he knows me. I had absolutely, positively no, no business being anywhere near anything medical. And the fact that I was, I just, it's just, okay, what should I study? How many of you are, um, be honest here, you, you've, 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 have, you've had two majors. Come on, don't be shy. Yeah, that's, that's no shame. Three, come on. Yeah, there's no Four. I think some of you are four, but you're like, there's no one else in the room. I'm going to go and put my hand down. Don't want to be the four person. All right, number 10. Failure to practice the Sabbath and other important rhythms. There is always something cool going on, right, that you could be a part of, that you could do. FOMO is a real thing, right? So much so that you'll violate, you and I will violate the natural rhythms that God has set up for us to function in. When God created the world, he set up a rhythm for the universe to function on. Most importantly, us as the crown of his creation, right? Six days of work, and then one day where we just cease everything and delight ourselves in God and each other and what he's created. And we are really awful at it, especially in this season of our life. Because you're like, you don't understand, Brad. I work when I'm not in school. And when I'm not in school or I'm not working, well, there's some other thing that I have to be at and go to and engage in. Like, are you kidding me? There's, you're asking me to press pause for a 24-hour period in my life? Do you know how hard that is? Yes, I do. I have four kids and an amazing wife. And do you think it's easier now to do it or easier when you're 18 to 24? Maybe equally so because it's your reality, but it, it's difficult. But I'm telling you, This is a massive source of discouragement if we don't function in the rhythms that we were created to. Number nine, fear about the future. Oh my gosh, this season of your life, it's so much lays in front of you and you're going, okay, if I make this decision, then maybe this domino will fall and then, oh my gosh, I'll end up there. And suddenly your heart's gripped with fear, right? That's not the life I want for myself. And you're laying in bed at night going, I... You certainly turned into a goat. I don't know what that was. You know you lay there in bed at night and make those noises. I'm not the only one. Anyway. All right, number eight. Too many unanswered questions about the future. Maybe you're not fearful necessarily, but you're like, there's, I just know there's more questions unanswered than answered, and that's just overwhelming. And is this burden I carry? I feel like every time I turn around, I'm making a major life decision, right? Welcome to young adulthood. It's so hard, right? It's like, where are you going to live? Who are you going to hang with? What do you really believe about God? Who are you going to date or not date? Who, who are you, where are you going to go to school? What are you going to major? On and on and on. It's like, oh, it's just this massive rock in our backpack. So fear about the future. Too many unanswered questions about the future. Number seven, the future. It's worth being up there three times, right? For those of us who are 18 to 25, 26, the future is this big. I thought that would actually be more funny. It's the future, the future, the future. You guys can laugh again if you want. Ready, go. Okay, awesome. All right, moving on. Number six of the top 11 sources of discouragement. Unresolved conflict with friends and family members. So check this out. 
when you're stepping into adulthood, your social situation is in transition and flux. Suddenly, you're not son or daughter in the way you were, and often parents freak out about that and don't know how to relate to you guys, right? And you're also put in this new community of other 18 to 25, 26-year-olds, and you're learning how to relate to them at a different level. And it's like there's a lot of potential for conflict. Can anybody relate to this? Anybody love you some relational drama? It's miserable, so discouraging. Number five, a secret struggle with an addiction. Man, this is discouraging, right? So you take 11 through 6, all that pressure, and sometimes, right, we find an unhealthy way to cope with all the pressure that we're feeling. And there's this secret addiction in our life as a young adult that, that, that is somehow is this false place of comfort for us. For me, this was when pornography kind of set its hook into my, to my life. I, I was somehow, it was just this escape where I didn't have to think about 11 through 6. But yet nobody really knew about it for, for a while in my life. It was this massive source of discouragement over me. It was like a cold, wet blanket on a cold, rainy day had been placed on my shoulders everywhere I went, sort of in the back of my mind of like, I'm, I'm addicted to this. I, I hate it. I want free so bad. Ugh. It was horrible. I was walking around just in pain all the time, right? Number four, comparison and pressure to be something you're not. Have you ever looked at one of your peers and gone, man, they just got it going on. They're so focused. They know where they're headed. They're just crushing everything. They're like the Midas guy. Everything they touch turns to gold. And you're like, oh, that's not me. And I really wish it was. Comparison, right? Comparison is the thief of joy. You can tweet that one out. That's really good. Comparison is the thief of joy oftentimes, isn't it? And a lot of times out of that comparison, we feel like we have to be something we're not. You know, that person's really focused on business and seems happy and excited about their future. So maybe I should be a business major. And inside you're like, no, I, I want to mow grass. But I feel like I'm to be a stockbroker now, you know. Or sometimes it's the voice of, of a parent, well-meaning, right? You should be this, pursue that. And we try. And it's so discouraging because it's like, no, this isn't me. I'm not supposed to be a model, although you might think, right? That was supposed to be funny too, but. Um, all right, number three, feeling like a failure. I can't get it right. I want to be excellent, but I just keep falling short. Ugh. Number two, spiritual warfare. Right? We have an enemy who's after us. One of the main things about our adversary is that he's looking for seasons and moments in our life when we're vulnerable. And it's often in these transitional seasons that we're very vulnerable, right? When we're kind of stepping out of our teenage years into the adult world, the enemy's like, now I will sow lies into the minds of these young adults. Very real thing. Number one, financial prayer, financial pressure. Somebody say amen, right? 
Anybody relate that? Finances. Brutal. All right. So what we're going to do now is I want you to take some time around your table and identify which of the 11 that you can relate to the most and what would you add to the list that's not already on on it, okay? Ready, set, discuss. All right. All right, I'm really curious. Who had an an amazing addition to the list that you go, Brad's got to add this. Yeah, what do you got? Oh my gosh, romance and, and yeah, yeah, the kind of in conflict and in, in relational stuff with family and friends, but the, it should be its own category. It should have three spots, figuring out who I'm going to marry and have babies with. Big deal. All right. What else? What else do you add to the list? This is good. Thank you. I'm just going to give this talk next week to you guys again, but I'm going to add that one because that's, yeah. Come on. Somebody had another killer addition to this. You got one, you got one more. No, okay. Then I have to know, um, what was the most common one? You said that's the one I relate to most. How many of you was financial issues? Yeah, a lot of you. What about feeling like a failure? It's a little more vulnerable. Okay, yep, uh-huh, I hear you. Awesome. You know, one of the really insidious things, did I just say awesome to that? <laughs> awesome. Brad, I'm so encouraged. I celebrate your discouragement. Good job. Man, I need more, more something, more coffee. You know, one of the most insidious things about discouragement is the very thing that would alleviate our discouragement, we are often unable to dial into. What am I talking about? The word of God, the voice of God, what God is trying to say to us in any given moment. Discouragement plugs our ears. And we can't hear what God is trying to say to us often. And, and, it, and it really is, is like, that's not fair. The thing that I need to get through this season, I cannot access because discouragement is so on me, I can't tap into God. And I found this fascinating example of this when I was reading in Exodus this week. Um, and to kind of catch you up to where, where we are in the story, Moses the great deliverer of God's people out of the hand of Pharaoh, has already come back from the backside of the desert, right? Because he did grow up in Pharaoh's home. Then he left, went to the desert. Then he came back after God encountered him at the burning bush. We tracking, right? And God says, you're my guy. You're going to confront Pharaoh. And so we pick up this story, and God speaks to Moses and tells him to do something really specific. So we catch up here in Exodus 6. It says, therefore, Say to the Israelites, so this is God speaking to Moses, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Now check this out. This incredible message that God has given to Moses to then give to the Israelites. And you would think if you were an an Israelite slave, uh, just grinding away at building bricks, right? And building these huge buildings that Pharaoh wanted in the heat of the day, every day with little rations that you would hear this word and go, 
yes, deliverance has come. And you'd be so excited. You'd be like, yes, the land that God has promised to our forefathers, he's going to set us free and then give us that land as our inheritance. You would think that was the response. But check out the response that Moses got from the Israelites. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. So here it is. This great news in a season of great discouragement and the Israelites could not hear it. So you think, wow, thanks, Brad. This is a really hopeful message. Where where do we go now? You know what's amazing about God? Is that he'll go to any lengths to reach us in a season of discouragement. He will come after us. If we can't hear him, guess what he'll do? He'll show us. And that's exactly what transpired in this story, right? We think that the plagues were mainly to let Pharaoh know that he wasn't king, that God was king. But I think, if not more, certainly they were for Pharaoh, but maybe even more, they were for God's people to be convinced, to see that God was coming for them in their place of discouragement. Do you remember what God did, right? First, we have this water turning to blood. Whoa. How do you like that, Pharaoh? How do you like drinking blood instead of water? Enjoying that one, right? God starts to to bow up. Then it goes frogs. Frogs were everywhere. Biting insects, wild animals, diseases, boils, hail, locust, darkness all the time. God was so passionate about convincing his people that he was for them and loved them in their place of oppression. He took the life of every firstborn in Egypt whose home wasn't sprinkled with the blood of the spotless sacrificial Lamb. What's that a picture of? Jesus. The Exodus story foreshadows Jesus' blood on the doorpost of our life, convincing us that whenever, wherever, however, God will come find us and rescue us from the oppression of the Egyptians, our sin. And that is the meta story, the big story that God is telling. But you know, just because we have sort of this layer one testimony of God finding us, why we were still sinners and enemies of God, Christ died for us, even though we have that story, those of us who said yes to Jesus, we're meant to have all these lowercase stories or testimonies where God found us again along the path where we've been discouraged and he proved to us that he would do anything to come alongside of us and speak life back into us. The first thing that we need to hear this morning, if we're in a season of discouragement, is that God will stop at nothing to reach us. Isn't that beautiful? If you're in a place of heaviness and discouragement about your life and where it's going, guess what? God is coming after you. And if you can't hear what he's saying, he will start to show you. He will start to make it very obvious that he is the God of your life 
And he wants what's very best for you, that he knit you together in your mother's womb, and that he has a plan for your life and a future for your life to prosper you and give you a future in him. And he's going to do whatever it takes to reach you with that. Isn't that awesome? So if you're in the season of of discouragement and a Christ follower, guess what? The season is going to end because God will be certain of it. Because God will flex his muscle all over your discouragement and prove to you, right? So beautiful. I love this prayer. David prayed this in Psalm 27. Lord, listen to my voice when I cry out. Have mercy on me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek God's face. Lord, I do seek your face. Please don't hide it from me. Don't push your servant aside angrily. You have been my help God who saves me, do not neglect me. Don't leave me all alone. Even if my father and mother left me alone, the Lord would take me in. Lord, teach me your way because of my opponents. Lead me on your good path. Don't give me over to the desires of my enemy because false witness and violent accusers have taken their stand against me. But I have a sure faith that I will experience the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Hope in the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Hope in the Lord. You know, one of the coolest things about seasons of discouragement is that God peels back the circumstantial elements that brought about our discouragement and shows us the true source of our discouragement. He wants us to understand what's really going on inside of our hearts. God will give us his insight and the true source of our discouragement. There's an amazing story that really tells this in the life of Elijah. Now, just for a little review, if it's been a while since you've been in 1 Kings, Elijah is this great prophet of God. And what precedes chapter 19 in Kings is this showdown between Elijah, the great prophet of God, and the prophet, prophets of Baal and Asherah, 350 of each, 700 prophets of these false gods, met on Mount Carmel to have a showdown, to prove once and for all whose God was really God. And so what they decided to do, they would build an altar of wood, put a sacrifice on it, and Baal and Asherah's priests would go first, And they would try to call down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And whoever's God did this would prove himself to be the true God. So Baal and Asherah's prophets got up there and they started their incantations and all the things that they did. And they were just going crazy and nothing. And Elijah begins to taunt him and said, oh, maybe your God's in vacation. You should call him back home and Maybe you got, your God is sleeping, so maybe you should go and you know, shake him and wake him up. Maybe he's taking a little nap. He was just like mocking these prophets, right? So they get finished unsuccessfully. Elijah walks up, takes this huge pitcher of water, just starts to pour it over the wood. Does it again and again and again and again. The, the, the sacrifice, the wood on the altar is soaking wet. And if you've ever been camping and trying to light a fire with wet wood, it just don't work, right? Elijah steps back and goes, God, boom. In fuego. Fire comes down, right? Then 
just in case his point hadn't already been proven, Elijah and his men go and slaughter these 700 prophets. You got to love the old violence of the Old Testament, right? All these prophets just get annihilated in this valley. I actually stood on Mount Carmel two years ago and just was re-envisioning this whole story in this valley below. It's just really wild. So it was right after this great victory that we catch up with Elijah in verse 3 of chapter 19. What had happened was Jezebel and the king at the time had caught wind that Elijah had done this, and Jezebel you know, came up and said, Elijah, what you did to all these prophets, I'm going to now do to you. And this guy, Elijah went from this incredible place of strength. Check out what happens next. It's kind of wild. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread and over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back to him a second time and touched him and said, Get up, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Herob, the Mount of God. There he went into a cave and slept again. Elijah is so spent that in like four verses, he sleeps three times. Like that's, that's pretty, being pretty tapped, right? But I love it. All Elijah can do is crash under this tree in some wilderness and God brings him supernatural provision, right? Back to that first point. He, he came after Elijah and said, I'm going to give you what you need. You can do nothing for yourself. I will give you what you need. Elijah goes from this place to this place, like that. Isn't that crazy how sometimes in life you can be on the mountaintop, and then the next day you're like, I'm so down. I, how did the contrast of this moment? Check this out. Moses, or Elijah and God have this incredible conversation that reveals the source of Elijah's discouragement. Then a voice said to him, whose voice do you think this is? God. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimeshi. Sounds like a sushi I had last week. (laughs) King over Israel and anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Haziel and Elijah. Will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So check this out. God actually, in the verses before, asks Elijah the same thing. What are you doing here? Guess what Elijah does? Gives him the same answer twice. If God asks you the same question twice, it means you got it wrong the first time. So answer him a different way the second time, right? But Elijah gives him the same answer, and God's like, you're not getting it. Why are you here? 
Elijah's like, why am I discouraged? I don't know. He's scratching his head. I don't know. He had completely lost perspective in his discouragement. And God was trying to show them that. What did Elijah say? I'm the only one left in Israel who has not bowed down and kissed Baal? God's actually like, Elijah, there's 7,000 people. And you were just whining as if you were the only one. And then God says, and I've got this plan. You're going to actually anoint these new prophets, and they're going to go to battle with you. And this new king, he's going to, be, he's going to stand up to the enemies of God. And you think you're alone. You forgot that I have a plan. Elijah completely lost perspective in that moment. That was the true source of this discouragement. So God comes and shows us. Once he finds us and renews us, then he says, this is why you're really discouraged. Let me show you. And until we know really why we're discouraged, God has a hard time of actually speaking to that place and restoring our energies. This brings me to my last point. God will reorient your perspective and priorities on the other side of discouragement. Here's the coolest thing about being discouraged as a believer. God comes after you. God shows you what's really going on in your heart. And then he changes you. He changes your mind. He changes the way you think about your life. He gives you a new perspective on your job, on your relationships, on your future. He speaks to you in that place. So here's the deal. Next time you're in a season of discouragement, take heart because that means God's about to invade your space. He's about to show you how strong he is. He's about to give you his insight and he's going to change you and make you into something different. This is life in Christ. This is God. He's incredible. Whenever his people are struggling... He meets them and makes them better off than when they better off than when they were first entered that season of discouragement. Isn't that amazing? That's our God. Do you hear it this morning? Next time you're discouraged, take heart. God's about to invade your space and get work done in your life, in your heart that will change you going forward forever. God's amazing. Let's stand and we'll pray and then I'll invite Josh up. I just want to pray over you quickly. Those of you facing discouragement. If you will, just open up your hands like this. Posture of receiving. I like to, I like to hold my hands out like this. It's a reminder of I bring nothing to the Lord. That he is the one who supplies what I need. I just want to pray over those of you that are currently walking in a season of heaviness. May God give you power and strength in your place of powerlessness. In your exhaustion, may he show you the path of greater trust and reliance upon him. Just like the eagle renews itself by shedding off the old. May in your season of heaviness, may you shed off the former things and be cloaked with strength. May you be convinced that God is coming to you 
and will speak to you and will change you. May you rest in the great love of God. May you be found and hid in him. And may our lives tell the story of God, reveal his glory and goodness, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks, guys.